0: Well, hey, um, how are you doing? Feel good? Um, Have you ever thought about, I'm sure you have, have you ever thought about how every action, you know, potentially impacts other things around you? Have you ever just kind of chased that in your brain? Um, For instance, like last night, me and Julie Beth decided, as, as the kids were in different places, decided to go eat dinner. And so we had the option of, we, th- we thought about Zoe's and we thought about um, me cooking something to which she said, nah, we're going to do that. Um, and, and then we, so we decided on Pastor's, uh, Pastor's Kitchen, which is just a phenomenal restaurant, right? And and so we go to Pastor's and so that impacts some things. It impacts our driving journey. Well, Well, what if instead of driving to... Zoe's where we would have intersected this red car. Now this red car has the freedom to keep going because they had to make it to a baseball game. And maybe if we would have been going down that road, then there would have been something Would have impacted that baseball game where their where their son, you know, was looking up in the stands for them. And if they weren't there, then they're looking up there, and the ball hits the son in the face and messes his teeth up. And now this family has a million dollars worth of dental stuff that has to occur because the son, and, and it's all because me and Julie Beth decided to go to Pastors. Have you ever thought about those things, how different interactions interact in different ways with other people and have potential impacts? And just, if you chase that journey, number one, it takes you to crazy town, right? Uh, n- number two, um, it devalues God's sovereignty over all things, but nonetheless, I, It stands reason to say that your decision to worship this morning in the nine o'clock service impacts something else about the rest of your day. If you would have decided not to worship in this service, that would have impacted something. If you decided to worship in the larger eleven o'clock service, that would have impacted something. There's just there's all kind of chain reactions, right? I mean what you do today somehow impacts what's going on in France. It's just, it's it's wild to think through all of these different things. Well, what if I was to tell you this, that you are indeed created to impact the world in ways that you never dreamt or imagined? And what if I went on further to say, you are created to impact not only the world here and now, but eternity itself? I mean, it's one thing to think about how our lives may impact a, a guy at Kentuck. It's a whole other thing to think about how our lives may impact today something going on in Europe. And it's just a whole other thing to think about how your life today impacts the eternal kingdom that we've, we haven't seen or tasted, right? It's you are made for more than you think that you're made for. And how does God flesh that out? He fleshes it out through a word ...in Scripture called Spiritual Gifts. He uses us in unique ways to impact spiritual things... ...and these are called Spiritual Gifts. And so what we're going to do for four weeks... ...is we're going to go through um, just a four-week little mini-series... ...on the Spiritual Gifts lists that are found in Scripture... ...in preparation to get us to our next book of the Bible... ...where we will journey through the book of Colossians... And that should give you enough time, um, as Michael was talking about already, to order you one of those Colossians books if you're a note taker. You've got four weeks to get it in, um, but we'll kick off Colossians later. But for the meantime, we're just going to kind of journey through these spiritual gifts, which is super practical for you and how God wired you. And how you knit you together. And I really believe that this little journey that we're going to go through will be great for you. But also, I think it will be great conversation pieces for you and your family. To sit down and, and just to go, how do you think I'm wired? Do you think, I, do you think I have these gifts? What gifts do you think I have? Just to have these conversations. I think it will be awesome conversations for community groups how How are you why and, and just to encourage one another and, and just to chew through these things with one another so let's let's blow through some of these today. So number one, let's get a definition, a working definition of what are spiritual gifts? okay? I would say spiritual gifts are these things. It's abilities, both natural and supernatural, that the Spirit uses in us for His glory. ...and effective gospel ministry. That's what spiritual gifts are. So it's abilities. Again, both natural and supernatural. Let's, let's not over-spiritualize spiritual gifts... ...because I think that's what confuses people a lot of times. And so we begin to question, okay, am I naturally tendency to do this... ...or is this something supernatural? Well, it's both. All these things work together that God uses for His glory... ...for effective spiritual uh, gospel ministry... Well, before we would go on to spiritual gifts, I think we'd do a disservice not to just address the Holy Spirit Himself. If the Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts, then we should probably know something about the Holy Spirit. Seven things about the Holy Spirit that I think we can see in Scripture. Number one, the Holy Spirit is real. He is, he's not a myth. It's not this mystical thing that's come up with. He is real. From the second verse of the Bible... All the way through to the fifth to last verse of the Bible, the Spirit is spoken of often and always. He, I think a lot of times, is the red-headed stepchild. No offense if you're a red-headed stepchild, but he's the red-headed stepchild of the Holy Trinity. Right? The Father, the Son, and that thing that we really don't know anything about. It's Holy Spirit thing. That way, right? He is real. He's just as real as the Father and the Son. Number two, He is a He. Um, he's not an it. He's not a she. In Scripture, He said over and over and over that the Spirit is a He. Number three, He is God. He is God in Spirit-formed, distinct, yet one, the Holy Trinity, all of these things, right... How do we know that? One great verse illustration is Acts chapter 5, where Peter is speaking to Ananias, who has just lied, and he says to, Peter says to Ananias, Ananias, you have lied to the Holy Spirit, not to men, but to God. So Peter says, the Holy Spirit is God. Okay, so we see this. Number four, he's active. He does all kinds of things in your life. If you have ever been empowered, blessed, purified, revealed something to, unified, counseled, guided, given gifts, helped, assured, um, uh, taught, saved, if you've had any of those things occur in your life, it is squarely because of the Holy Spirit. He's active, He's moving. Now, here's the kicker He's doing something in you right now if you're a believer. He is just as real as the person sitting right next to you. And He's doing something. He's that alive. Number five, He can be quenched. We know that in Scripture. We can resist in a way that we remove His hand of blessing. That's true. Number six, He grants us access to the Father. Romans 8 says that we don't even know how to pray. I mean, how humbling is that? We don't even know how to pray. And so the Spirit has to take our prayer and make it in groanings deeper than words to present it to the Father. He's this active. And number seven, he does indeed distribute spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12 says that he distributes as he wills. And so he distributes to each one of you and us in a different way. And so all that to say, if you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. And if you're a believer, I'll go on to say this, you don't have just one spiritual gift, you have multiple Spiritual gifts and abilities. And maybe we could say it the flip side as well. The implication of that is, if you don't have a spiritual gift, then what? You're not a believer. This is what Scripture's getting at. This is how important spiritual gifts really are. And so you say, Troy, yeah, I, I hear you saying that, but, but I don't know what it is. Well, that's what this whole series is all about. Maybe we can help you unpack that, number one. But also, number two, spiritual gifts are a lot sometimes like helium. If, if, if I was to present before you right here a batch of helium, you couldn't see it, could you? You couldn't see it at all. However, and somebody who knows the chemical makeup of helium says, you would if you ignited that bad boy, right? But if we took that helium and we stuck it in a balloon and then let that balloon go every one of you would see that's helium. As a matter of fact, I could hold two balloons that looked identical, let both of them go, and you could tell me which one had helium in it, couldn't you? Because you see it. You see its effect. And that's what the Scripture is teaching us about spiritual gifts. That we are, if you're a believer, you are ignited in such a way that you should see the effects of the Spirit moving as opposed to an unbeliever who may look the same, but you drop it and it's dead as a doornail. This is what's getting at in Scripture with spiritual gifts. It's like the wind, but it can topple an oak tree, if you will. So all that to say there's six lists in the Bible... Um, these will be on the screen above. You, these is where all these spiritual gifts lists are. Um, I'm not going to read through all the spiritual gifts because we're going to go through them in the coming weeks. But there's 23-ish. Spiritual gifts, I say ish because there's great debate over how many spiritual gifts are actually listed because some of them overlap in these type things. But I will say a couple of things about the spiritual gifts lists. Number one, um, I think they're inexhaustive lists because no list is the same. And if God was telling us that there's only X amount, then He would have told us there are only X amount. So all the lists are different. Number two, they overlap with one another. So there's some of these things that are interchangeable, which leads to number three. The gifts themselves can be interchangeable um, in certain aspects. And then number four, because any ability used by the Spirit to point to the gospel becomes a spiritual gift. And so if you God uses something in your life, as John was just talking about a minute ago, you know what you are not going to find in the spiritual gifts lists is this. Pouring concrete footings. You're just not going to see that anywhere in the Scripture. You're not going to find it. I don't care if you break it down to its original language or whatever. You will never find that in Scripture. However, God squarely uses things like that for gospel benefit. And when natural abilities are used for gospel purposes, they become spiritual gifts. And so this is what we're getting at. All right. You ready to walk through some of them? This is going to be good. Um, we're only going to walk through three today because we had to do a little bit of an intro, but let's just go ahead and knock it out of the park right off the bat with one of the bigger ones. All right, The first gift we're going to look at through this journey is that of prophecy. <clears throat> what is prophecy? How does it fit? Well, here's a couple of things about it. Number one, prophecy is the only gift that's listed in all six lists which is why I think that we should probably go through it first. It's the most highlighted and it's the only gift that Paul says believers should earnestly desire. So here's my question to you. When is the last time you have said, God, I really hope you give me, use in me the gift of prophecy? This is what we're called to do. This is what Scripture leads us to do. So two aspects about the gift of prophecy. And I hope right now you're contemplating in your brain, has God ever used the gift of prophecy in my life? I'm hoping you're doing that. And maybe you're even thinking about the person next to you. Does God use that in their life to speak into me? Let's let's try to go there if you will. All right. So two aspects of prophecy. Number one, prophecy as foretelling. There's there's these two dynamics in prophecy. Foretelling is this, speaking something that is newly revealed. We we see this a lot in Scripture. Um, Elijah, Elisha, all these, these great prophets speaking, foretelling things to come. And John writing the book of Revelation that we've gone through. We see this foretelling aspect. But here's a couple of dangers ...when we think about prophecy in that way. Danger number one is unbiblical counsel. When somebody comes up and begins to say something clearly outside of Scripture... ...that they say God is telling them to tell you. Let me give you some examples. Uh, There is a TV evangelist who you can pull this clip up on your own... ...who says this, that he was preaching one time... ...and God told him to go kick a lady in the face with his boot, and he's laughing about it in this clip on YouTube, and he's talking about it. And, I, and I'm sitting there going, God, surely you're not telling me to do this. And so I went and I kicked the lady in the face, and then all these things happened in her life, and I'm like, you are crazy. Clearly outside of the bounds of Scripture. Doesn't fit, okay? So there can be an incredible danger when we start thinking about prophecy in terms of foretelling What I'm saying is this, God did not tell that man to kick that lady in the face because it doesn't fit with the rest of Scripture. So there can be a danger in that. And then danger number two is this divine God complex authority with the gift of prophecy. What I mean by that is is when people walk up and claim to have the gift of prophecy and say, God told me to tell you. Well, The moment they walk up and say, God told me to tell you, they've just established themselves as the authority. And so anything you question would be to question God itself, right? So there's this divine authority complex that can go along with this gift as well. And that just devalues the personal presence of the Spirit in all of our lives. If you walk up to me and say, God told me to tell you this, Troy, you need to blah, 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 then my response to you... Let's go ahead and get it on the table before you come up to me and tell me. Here's going to be my response to you. Why did the Spirit not tell me that if He dwells inside me? Okay? So there's, there can be these two dangers with this gift... But nonetheless, there is a beauty of this foretelling aspect which kind of bleeds into the foretelling, which is this. There is this gift that can be powerful when it's marked with humility by which God speaks into the lives of other people. An example. You've probably had this happen, right? You're sitting at lunch with a friend, fellow believer. You're having a conversation Conversation is just going naturally. Talking about things that you talk about all day long. And then all of a sudden, that person says, Hey, you know, I didn't know how to say this. But like, I've just been pray- I've been thinking about you a lot. I've been praying for you. Or maybe they send you a text out of the blue. You've just been on my mind, and I'm not saying that that God wants me to say this or whatever. I just, but I've been praying for you. And then they speak something in your life and it is squarely for the need of the moment and it hits you deeper than any words you could have ever dreamed of. You ever had that happen? You've had that happen, haven't you? That is in humility... Not that person saying, look at me and look at my power. God wants me to whatever. It's just like the wind, as John chapter 3 would say, the Spirit moving and leads that person just to speak something that all of a sudden pushes you to either repentance or worship, but both cases pushes you to understand that the Lord is for you and He's speaking to you. You ever had that happen? It's a powerful gift when used rightly. And this could be this, which leads into number two. Prophecy as forth Speaking something more fully that's already revealed in boldness. Now we could even take that to another level. Uh, a, 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 my go-to for this, I just think... And he would disagree because he disagrees that this gift even exists. But I, John MacArthur has this gift. If you know who John MacArthur is, he is he's a he's a theologian, he's a pastor, he's a biblicist, and anytime uh, CNN or or Fox or MSNBC or whatever has some debate, they'll usually kind of go to John and bring him in, and it's uncanny as he sits there and is able to speak the scriptures into real life situations that have. Nothing to do with um, him or or anything else, but it's just—it's a clarity in a way that just makes sense with boldness what has already been proclaimed in Scripture. He has the ability to speak truth that's powerful and unique in a way that's not just normal teaching. It, It impacts culture. He speaks. You can either accept it or not, but here's what the Word of God is to where everybody walks away going, I may not agree with him, but at least he's speaking the Scriptures. I understand what that's saying. I understand what that position is. And so this is this unique power, this unique clarity, this unique boldness. And so how do I know if I or someone else is speaking prophetically? Four things. Number one, did it come to pass? Was what was spoken, did it come to pass? Because Deuteronomy 18.22 says we can test all prophecy by did it come to pass or not. Number two, where was the attention directed when it was spoken? Was it to glorify that person or was it in such a way that God received glory in all things? Number three, does it line up with Scripture? It's what's being said. Does it line up with the rest of the consistency of Scripture? Because in the latter days, God, in the former days, God spoke through the prophets. But now, Hebrews says, God speaks through the Son, through the given word. And then number four, what do others in the church think? What do, and by church I mean big C, what do other fellow believers think about what was said? And, and so in 1 Corinthians 14 where prophecy is spoken of, Paul says, let others weigh in literally to what was said. So all that to say, does anybody want to stand up and tell us that you have the gift of prophecy? Alright, I just made the whole room awkward, right? But nonetheless, so, so this is this gift. Let's think through and worship the Lord because of that. Number two, let's look at the gift of apostleship. Apostleship, literally, a sent one or a messenger. Um, Some of you guys may have got a Twitter invite to be friends with Apostle uh, James or Apostle Tom or something like that. Okay, so there's a twisted notion of apostleship. But what is apostleship? Two aspects of it in Scripture. Number one, there's this narrow sense of the apostle that we're talking about when... Galatians 1, when, when Paul says this, "...I am an apostle set apart by the Lord." Very narrow, very specific, very pointed. okay... And He had authority, as did the other 11 apostles, and you could add a couple more on with that... ...to write words and to say words that were indeed equal with the words of Christ. Okay? At that time, the Scriptures were not penned. And so God gave apostles to speak with the exact same authority as Christ's words... And so when the apostles spoke, they spoke the very words of of God in quite a literal sense. And so they had this authority to found and govern the first church. But there's a couple reasons that in the narrow sense, the gift of apostleship just doesn't exist anymore. There's no way it can exist. Because there was some requirements to be that type of apostle in this narrow sense. Requirement number one was they had to have seen the resurrected Christ in the flesh personally. Just like I am looking at Julie Beth right now in Calvin, okay? You had to have met Jesus in that way was requirement number one. And then requirement number two was you had to be commissioned with Him at that meeting to be an apostle. So there were several people that met with Christ in His flesh. Uh, Paul says 500 plus met with Him, but not all were commissioned to be apostles. So you had to be commissioned in that moment. And then number three, since Scripture is closed, we have all we need for life and godliness. And so the office of apostle is not even needed. Um, and I would also argue it's not even possible anymore. All right, so that's kind of that narrow sense of apostle. But there is the apostleship gift in a broad sense. Now what would that be? Well, it functions a lot like a church planter or a missionary. <clears throat> what I mean by that, it's, it's one who takes the existing writings of Christ that have been given through the apostles, and they just go distribute what has already been written by the apostles everywhere. They can't get away from it. And and I would even say that these people um, may try to avoid doing so, but because this is a gift that God has placed in them, they can't not do it. They can't escape it. Everywhere they turn, they may try to work at UPS, but God won't let them. They may try to do this, but God won't let them. They just find themselves compelled. God keeps... Maybe they try to take the train off the track this way, but God just writes it back this way, right? So it's just in them. God does this through them. So how is the entire church impacted by this gift of apostleship? Do we have any apostles in here? Any apostles? Um, Here's the deal. I think there's four ways that we're all impacted by this gift. Number one, we should all strive to thrive in this gift. If our calling is to speak the gospel often and always, then then we should all be about giving away the writings of, of Jesus wherever we go, to all different places. Number two, we should all rejoice when we see this role functioning. It doesn't matter if it's right down the street. It doesn't matter if it's in our neighborhood. It doesn't matter if, like, we've been watching these videos every other week about foreign mission. Every other week. We're not just throwing those videos up there for kicks and giggles because we don't want to have more time for Andrew and Britt to lead us in worship. That's not the point. The point is when we see what's going on in Tokyo and Turkey and Brazil and Mexico City and it should ignite us and go, look at what the Lord's doing all around the world. It should should compel us to worship more. And then number three, we should expect that God will call some to this task. In our church body, if we are a church body and God distributes the gifts, then He should call some out of us to this task. And then number four, how we can be impacted by this. We can all participate in helping resource those with that calling and that gift. And so you go, oh, Troy, that's a lofty gift, apostleship, blah, blah. I'm I'm glad that we have some friends of ours who, who are in the bush of Africa. I'm not talking about Africa, fun city. I'm talking about Africa. Their house got held hostage by monkeys A couple of weeks ago. True story, okay? We're talking about... We should see that and go, praise the Lord for them. And I'm not called to that, but by God's grace, I can help that. I can help resource that. So it should impact us in that way. So the gift of prophecy is a spiritual gift. The gift of apostleship. And then let's wrap up our time today. We've looked at two gifts that are, are, are kind of out there sometimes. But let's look at one more gift. This gift being the most overlooked gift, but oddly the gift that every single one of us in this room, if we're a Christian, have to some capacity. That being the gift of hospitality. 1 Peter 4, 9-10 says it this way, "...show hospitality to one another without grumbling." As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's various graces. So first, if you looked at the list through Scripture earlier and and you've you've kind of been thinking through spiritual gifts and you go, well, I think the Holy Spirit forgot about me. (laughs) I think He loves me, but He forgot about me because I don't know what my spiritual gift is. Number one, that's not the case. If no other gift, you have this gift to some capacity. Second, the greatest tool and gift in any of our toolboxes for gospel ministry is our kitchen table. It's the greatest tool you got. I want to be a prophet. And the Lord says, I gave you a kitchen table. I want to be an apostle. The Lord says, I gave you a kitchen table. I want to have the gift of healing. I gave you a kitchen table. I'd love to speak with the tongues and and interpretation. And I gave you a kitchen table. At the kitchen table, more ministry happens than anything else. And it's the gift of hospitality. It is the moment by which relationships are birthed. And when friendships are birthed, conversations are birthed out of friendship. And when friendships are birthed with conversations that birth out of friendship, for the gospel-centered person, it will always get the conversations about Jesus at some point bank on it. Just always will. And which kind of leads me to the next thing, that gospel, in that case with this gift, it's it's no longer a, a sales pitch, is it? It's just a natural conversation that flows out of a real love for one another. And so what's the difference in somebody who's just hospitable and the Christian who has the gift of hospitality? Well, I'd say it this way. Number one, hospitable people gather people together as a means of gain. What I mean by that is if... An unbeliever is hospitable. Like I know somebody uh, who is a master at gathering people, Uh, so much so that they're they're, they. Well, I better not say too much. Um, The people love them and flock to them, but the point terminates at friend and friendship, or fun and friendship. That's where it just ends there. It ends with mass gathering and fun and friendship and and all this kind of stuff. But the gift of hospitality isn't a means of gain. The gift of hospitality gathers people as a means of grace. So people are gathered and they have fun and they have friendship and all this kind of stuff. But the gospel is the point. It always somehow gets to Jesus. And so if you say, what is the difference between somebody who's just hospitable and somebody that has the gift of hospitality, my answer would be, where does it terminate? Does it terminate with just applause and fun? Or does it terminate in something deeper than applause and fun that gets to Jesus? And so the characteristics of these people with this gift. Because some of you in here, when we talked about prophecy and apostleship, you might have been like, I don't know. But now we're starting to go, okay, I definitely know somebody like that. And you may even feel, this is me. Here's some characteristics of these type people. Number one, they're not overly concerned with perfection. That's what's unique about these people. They're just hospitable and the house doesn't have to be pristine because they're not concerned with applause. They're concerned with comfort. Number two, they don't panic to create a performance. It's the Mary and Martha syndrome, right? Running around trying to fix things versus just engaging with other people. And so they don't panic. Number three, they don't extend their wealth, but they extend themselves. They create atmospheres where they can just either, A, engage with people, or they have this unique ability to create an atmosphere where other people can engage with one another. It's just uncanny. They just create that environment, that zen, if you will. Number four, people are somehow relaxed in their presence, even in imperfection. You know what I'm talking about. You're sitting in a room, and every eye is just kind of not only looking at the person, but all of a sudden, people just start vomiting stuff to this person in a way that's healthy. They've just created this warmth to where they feel love, and this is what this person has. People feel safe and at home around these people in a way that they have the ability to put their guard down. They're not tense, wondering what's going to happen next. They're just relaxed. Um, They cringe at the thought of repayment or thank yous. If you're a person who likes applause and thank yous, you probably don't have this gift. These people, they don't want it. As a matter of fact, the thought of that happening because of something they're done makes them, as John just said a minute ago, it makes them want to puke. They just love to serve. And the conversation gets to the gospel at some point. And I would also argue, I think 99.9% of the time it's just it's unintentional for them. They just feel compelled to host other people in a way or create atmospheres that make people feel warm and welcome. And they didn't necessarily walk into it going, I'm going to do this as a means to share the gospel. They just do it and the gospel just happens. It just comes out. It's the byproduct. And then finally, for kicks and giggles, if you use this gift, you actually are at an increased odds at seeing an angel. The reason I say that is because the Scripture does tell us, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. I can't promise, of course, that you'll see an angel, but at least you have increased odds if you are hospitable, right? And so these are the three gifts that we want to look at this week. And for the next three weeks, we're going to journey through several other gifts. And hopefully, over the next couple of weeks, it's just informative. Hopefully, the Lord either encourages you or encourages you to excel or enlightens you about somebody else. But in all of it, hopefully, it pushes us to worship Jesus still more through the gifts of the Spirit. Let me give you six reasons why I think the Lord wants us to do this before we kick off the book of Colossians. Six reasons. Number one, spectators sit and watch, but God's children are called to be participators. Number two, your spiritual gifts are benefits to other people and other spiritual gifts of other people are benefits to you. And so when they lie dormant, we're not being who God called us to be and we're not being encouraged in the way that we could possibly be encouraged. Number three, I think a lot of times we over-spiritualize spiritual gifts as unknowing and mystical. As a matter of fact, when I kicked off this sermon today, you probably thought, oh, these are things that I don't know anything about. It just like it becomes mystical and this, this labyrinth of can figure this out when these are just things that are super readily available for all of us. Number four, as we think through spiritual gifts, God will always open eyes for opportunity to use those gifts. Number five, seeking after spiritual gifts is seeking after the presence of God, which is always for our good. And then finally, leveraging your life this way impacts the world and also impacts eternity. That's where we begin this whole thing. So as we just thought about prophecy and apostleship and hospitality, I take you back to my first question. What if God wants to use you to impact not only the world, but the eternal realm today by your actions? Because He is and He will through you. So you won't hear us present these gifts as like the special forces, elitist type army ranger. Like the, the Green Berets. I mean, we watch the Navy SEALs video cause, videos because we're like, they have special gifts and special abilities. They're like superhumans. I think a lot of times we can take spiritual gifts and think, oh, those are the elitist, when Scripture says it's not that way at all. The spiritual gifts, the reality is that God takes common, normal folks and uses us incredibly for the sake of the Lord. So, as we wrap it up, and Andrew comes back up and the band, the point is, don't be lazy. Do something. What is God calling you to do? Well, Troy, you hadn't hit my gift yet. Well, we will. We'll hit something at some point. So don't worry about articulating what your gift is and just help stack the chairs. Don't worry about pontificating what your gift is and just invite someone over for dinner. Don't worry about waxing eloquently about what your gift is and just if the building catches on fire pick up the dadgum water hose. Don't worry about fully understanding the gifts, but just always be abounding in the work of the Lord. And don't worry about precision in the gifts, just worry about practicing something. That's the point of spiritual gifts. What are we doing? How are you leveraging your life? So, the question is, way less about what is my gift... The question is, will you just engage and let God use your gifts whether you know what they are or not? That's the point. I hope this uh, time together has been beneficial for you this morning. Um, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to sing and then we're going to go use our gifts all over the place. Let's pray together. Lord, thanks for chance to gather, chance to worship. In this room, you have world impact. So our prayer is that through SHC you'll leverage it indeed for world impact. Through the name of Jesus we pray and for your glory. Amen.